Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. Um, I think we have an extremely interesting uh, show for everyone, and we're going to be talking about something that um, that I think that that's pervasive, but we don't hear a lot of information about it, and I don't think that, in general, we really understand the nature of sex addiction and pornography addiction as well. And so we have, um, I think, an international expert on the topic, Dr. Stephanie Carnes, who is the president of the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals, and she's a senior fellow for the Meadows Behavioral Health Care, where she works with sexually addicted clients and their families. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist and, uh, and a, an approved supervisor. She's also a certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor specializing in therapy for couples and families struggling with sexual addiction. Um, Dr. Carnes is the author of numerous publications, including her books, Mending a Shattered Heart, A Guide for Partners of Sex Addicts, Facing Heartbreak, Steps to Recovery for Partners of Sex Addicts, and Facing Addiction, Starting Recovery from Alcohol and Drugs. Welcome to One Hour at a Time, Dr. Carnes. Thank you for having me, Mary. Well, I, you know, this is, uh, there's so much to talk about. I guess I would like to begin. Could you explain to us how does uh, sex become an addiction or pornography? How is that um, identified as an addiction? What is, what is the science behind that? Sure. Well, the science behind it is that it parallels how substance use disorders interact in the brain. So there have been... Uh, numerous research studies, especially in the last three years that have come out, that have started to look at how, uh, uh, for example, pornography, um, there, are, there are studies on sex addiction as well, but we'll just start with pornography because there's more on those, um, interact with the brain. And they've looked and they've learned that um, the, the dopamine system, the reward center, responds in really the same way that, um, that the brain responds to substance use disorders and also other behavioral addictions like gambling. Um, and so there's a lot of new research on this. Um, there have been fMRI studies that also look at how the brain responds to cues in the environment, um, like for example, when uh, an individual that's addicted to cocaine sees a line of cocaine, their brain responds in a certain way. Different areas of the uh, regions of the brain light up um, in response to viewing that trigger. Well, we're starting to see the same type of um, responses in the brain to pornography when, when clients are shown uh, explicit videos, the brain lights up in the same exact way as a cocaine addict viewing a line of cocaine. We call that cue reactivity, which is a very common um, thing in, in addiction research to look at how the brain responds to cues and triggers. And so we're starting to see all of this neuroscience evidence that is showing that the brain responds in a similar way as with substance use disorders. So the science has really advanced uh, a lot in recent years, and 
particularly the last three years in this area. And so it is really starting to look um, uh, like a, a legitimate uh, disorder. Now, there's still a lot of controversy in the field about what we're going to call it um, because there's, uh, you know, people that believe it should be called uh, uh, sexually compulsive behavior. Other people use the term addiction. Other people use hypersexual behavior disorder. So there's still um, controversy around that. But by and large, um, the vast majority of scientists believe that this is a real condition that deserves attention. What is the prevalence of pornography addiction and sex addiction? Well, that really depends on what uh, research study you're looking at. Unfortunately, that's one of the areas uh, that we don't have really great data. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, because this has been uh, an area that has been understudied, there has been actually only one federally funded research study in the area of sex and pornography addiction. So, we are like where alcoholism was 30 years ago. So, um, there are very few what we call epidemiological studies, which look at things like prevalence rates in the normal population. Um, and so, th we don't have great data, but... Uh, current estimates are anywhere from, um, for sex addiction in general, from like 2 to 6% uh, of the general population. And with pornography addiction, in some populations, we can even see like upwards of like 10% um, in high, uh, you know, like for example, in younger age groups and um, males and uh, college age men and that type of thing, we're seeing higher rates. I know, I don't know where I heard this, but um, it's my understanding that, that people who have, um, who have fetal alcohol effect syndrome or people who have certain types of uh, developmental disabilities seem to have a higher impulsivity for sexual behavior. Do you, have you ever heard that or studied that? Um, there are some studies that are looking at things like... Um, you know, different types of de developmental disabilities. Um, we do tend to see clinically um, uh, people with autism sometimes struggling or Asperger's. Um, it's certainly been linked uh, in the research strongly with ADHD. Um, so we are seeing some of that. But again, the, the research isn't that uh, strong in those areas. It's still new, I would say. So when we talk, when you're talking about sex addiction, um, can you define that for folks? Is, is it like other types? Is there sex addiction and sex misuse? Is it the same kind of kind of continuum, or? Yeah, I think uh, well, the the lay defi definition that I usually use is it's a mood altering experience. Um, that the individual continues to engage in despite adverse consequences. So uh, the mood-altering experience is sexual in nature. So um, one of the things that, that we really look for is a pattern of compulsive behavior over time. So sometimes, you know, people will say, you know, somebody with a little bit of uh, pornography use or an, uh, someone that's had an affair or two might be uh, called... You know, attempt, you know, tempted to call them sex addicts, but that's not really the case. We're really looking for a pattern of out-of-control behavior over time, 
Typically, we see that it escalates and it progresses and gets more risky and intense and severe. Um, we see that, it, that, that the individual uh, neglects their responsibilities. It gets in the way of their functioning. Um, they spend excessive amounts of time on it. They'll start to have consequences because of their behavior. Um, they will uh, even get to the point where they have like symptoms that are of like a psychological withdrawal, like uh, irritability or anxiety, um, restlessness if they can't access their behavior. Um, so uh, like, for example, a porn addict that can't access the, their pornography would feel tense and irritable around it. So we're not just looking at... Um, you know, a, a little. Uh, there, there are many people. Just like with chemical dependency, you have a lot of people that recreationally uh, drink and, and use drugs, but aren't addicts. Uh, and you have that same thing with sex addiction. Um, so the most common types of behaviors that people struggle with are, um, you know, prostitution, uh, hooks, hooking up, like uh, getting out of control with, you know, Craigslist or hookup apps. Um, you know, pornography is certainly one of them. You can also have, um, you know, just serial uh, affairs, multiple affairs or relationships going on at the same time. You know, those are the most common types of problems that we see. Are, is there often another co-occurring disorder connected to sex addiction, or do most folks just have this independent of any other type of addiction? Actually, in most cases, there is a co-occurring uh, disorder. So we found in one of the studies that I was, uh, I was involved in, we found that about 23% of people had no co-occurring disorder. So the most common things that we see are anxiety, depression, mood disorders. Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder is very common because it's very strongly linked with um, trauma and abuse. Um, substance use disorders also are very common. Um, so those would be the mo ADHD, as I mentioned before. Those are the most common uh, co-occurring conditions. You had mentioned that there's been very little epidemiological studies on, on sex addiction. What about um, being able to, you know, assessment of it, prevention? Um, where, where are we in terms of, of those issues and modalities? Yeah, actually assessment, we're doing pretty well. There's a lot of different uh, testing instruments that have been developed over time. Um, we have a, an instrument that we developed that's called uh, the sexual dependency inventory that's got, it's a whole profile of, and it's normed, it has 47 different scales, it's a whole profile of of sexual behaviors, and there are many different, uh, you know, pornography ad addiction assessments, and um, I think, too, um, you know, clinicians, you, if, for those that are out there seeking help, you really want to get somebody that's really tr specially trained in this area because many mental health practitioners are not trained on how to work. It's not part of most mental health training programs, and so, like, I recommend people look for, like, for example, certified sex addiction therapists, people with uh, credentials in this arena, and they're trained to really do thorough assessments, and um, we're, we're getting very good at uh, being able to assess people. Um, now, as far as uh, 
prevention goes, um, there's not a lot out there. Unfortunately, there's, this is still something that's very misunderstood and high, highly stigmatized, and a, a lot of people don't understand it. And there's, um, you know, even a, a lot of um, confusion about, uh, you know, pornography and its impact on people's lives. Um, and so there's, you get a lot of mixed messages out there um, about that. And so there's really not a lot of pre- prevention programs. Um, there is a, a, program, a, a program that is being taught in schools uh, that is a, around pornography addiction. Um, it's called, there's a, a group called Fight the New Drug, and they go around and uh, teach in schools to teenagers. I think, um, you know, it's starting to uh, be educated in, in some schools, but that's pretty few and far between at this point. Well, we'll be right back after this commercial um, to learn more about pornography addiction and sex addiction with Dr. Carnes. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually, as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you're busy, stressed, and can't ever seem to find the time to add in those new healthy habits, you need to check out Lisa Lutan's Busy, Stressed, and Food-Obsessed show. This program will help you discover easy ways to improve your health and happiness. Plus, you will pick up all sorts of tips on better eating, fitness, relationships, how to manage stress, and a lot more. You'll feel yourself becoming healthier just by tuning in. Listen live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time.
Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Today we're talking about sex addiction and pornography addiction with Dr. Stephanie Carnes, who is the president of the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals. She's a senior fellow for Meadows Behavioral Health Care, where she works with sexually addicted clients and their families, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and an approved supervisor. Um, Dr. Carnes, can you tell us... You know, do you see more men or women? Is there a gender difference when it comes to sex addiction and and pornography addiction? Sure, yeah. There's. uh, It tends to be more men. We the current estimated rates are that it's about three to one, uh, male to female. Um, So there's a lot more um, groups and treatment uh, options available for men. There are some programs, uh, new programs for women, uh, but it's definitely more prevalent in males. So what role does technology play in um, sex addiction and pornography addiction? You know, it's like 20 years. An accelerant of this problem because it's so, uh, well, obviously with pornography, it just being so accessible and um, readily available, it is something that is certainly, and people are getting exposed at such an early age to very graphic, intense um, online porn that has limitless novelty. And our, you know, our brains weren't really set up to have that uh, amount of novelty. So um, that's a very intense stimu- stimulation. Um, and so that has a, a really big impact, when, especially when we have these young people who are uh, learning about sex online and getting their sex education online. Um, you know, our brains were designed to uh, find a mate or have, you know, a, a, a small, either one or a small handful of mates throughout the course of our life. And you get online and every click, it, our brain is like interpreting as a new mate. So there's these huge surges of dopamine um, when you're watching online pornography. So it definitely is a very... Um, a different way for people to be receiving their sex education, and we're really seeing a lot of younger people getting in trouble with um, online, you know, pornography at rates that have been unprecedented. And we're actually seeing some different um, uh, types of issues come up as a result of it. Like, for example, um, porn-induced erectile dysfunction has become more common for especially for younger men that have been raised on Internet porn and have used it compulsively. And I would say, you know, obviously not everybody that uses porn has a problem with it. Not everybody develops a compulsion. But out of those that develop a... a, There there is a percentage that do develop an addiction or compulsive behavior. And out of those, we're starting to see people have uh, difficulties with... um, sexual dysfunction. Um, so you have, you know, that has certainly become a whole new issue for our young people as they try to understand their sexuality. And then we also have all the different ways that you can access sexual partners through digital media that we've never had before. Um, there's a lot of, for example, uh, hookup apps like Tinder and Grinder and things like that where you can find um, 
potential sex partners very quickly. Um, you know, Craigslist and Backpage and a lot of different uh, methods that have never, you know, we've never had to wrestle with as a culture. And so we are seeing um, increased uh, problems with addiction, and which is what we see in with other types like of substances and other type of addictive behaviors. Whenever you have more availability of something, like um, in areas where you have more bars, you have more problem drinking. In areas where there's more casinos, you have more problem gambling. When you have meth labs that spring up, you have an increase in meth addiction in that area. Well, now culturally, as a whole culture, we're having this huge increase uh, of just uh, digital uh, access to sex that has been unprecedented, and we're having unprecedented rates of people that are struggling with it as a result of that. Is there any correlation between pornography addiction and sexual abuse? Um, yeah, yes, and I would say yes, but I would say with one caveat. Um, we have, uh, there's very clear evidence in the research literature that sex and, and pornography addiction is, um, is more common in people that have sexual trauma history. There's an absolute uh, clear link um, with that. Um, now, that being said, we are starting to see young people that are exposed to sexual content online at an early age um, that don't have sex, like tra- typical sexual trauma, which is like a, like a hands-on offense or something like that, um, or any attachment problems or any of the you know things that we we use, normally see with sex addiction that are getting online and getting in trouble with it. So we ha- the research literature has started to talk about um, classic sex addiction versus uh, what we call contemporary sex addiction, which is kind of what we're seeing in our young ones. So the classic is, you know, high rates of, of trauma, uh, difficulties with attachment, um, you know, other comorbid addictions like substance abuse, um, that type of profile. And with our young people, we're seeing people that come from really happy homes and really no trauma history. They're just getting online and, and getting exposed at an early age to this very intense content. Um, you know, some, some therapists argue, well, being exposed to pornography when you're eight years old is a trauma. Um, so you, you know, have some people that are of that line of thinking. So it's, um, you know, hard to say how that is really impacting our very young people. Um, but we're, we're seeing a, a definite, there's definitely a link um, typically with trauma uh, and sexual abuse, yes. So what happens in the family with the partners and with the children when there's pornography addiction and sex addiction? Yeah, so it's, um, it's very different than the other addictions. Um, obviously, when, when you're dealing with sex and pornography addiction, uh, you have the, the aspect, the element of betrayal uh, for a partner. And so uh, that's a really, it can be very devastating for the partners and for the couples. Um, we often talk about betrayal trauma because a lot of partners 
actually have symptoms of trauma after learning about their loved one's sex addiction. Um, you know, intrusive thinking and um, sleeplessness and um, somatic concerns, and it's very distressing for partners. Um, so it's, it's a lot easier to wrap for, for partners to, to wrap their heads around like a, a chemical dependency um, than uh, a sex addiction. That can be harder for family members to understand. So um, it, partners also need um, support and, and treatment if they're, you know, have, if they're, they find out that their loved one is struggling with this. Um, my recommendation is that the partner gets some supportive care as well and, um, you know, find a counselor that can help them navigate it. Are sexually transmitted diseases common with people that have sex addiction? Uh, they're unfortunately they very common, partners? and we actually, you know, most um, people that treat this, either both outpatient and inpatient, uh, you have the STD testing is just part of standard treatment. Um, you know, they get it when they come in, and so everybody gets it just because it's so common. Um, and that can be really devastating for a partner, for example, to learn that they've, you know, contracted something. We often recommend to our partners that they get checked as well. What, what is the um, recovery rate for folks that have porn, pornography addiction and, and sex addiction? Yeah, unfortunately, that's an area that we don't have a lot of of research data either. There's very few outcome studies. There are some outcome studies that, that show that, um, you know, that recovery is definitely possible. There's just not a lot of them. So, um, but I can tell you from clinical experience, knowing, you know, hundreds of people that have been in the recovery process, it's definitely possible. Um, it's one of the things that's very helpful for people is to get 12-step support as well as therapy. Um, there are many different types of 12-step groups out there, um, Sex Addicts Anonymous, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, um, Sexual Compulsives Anonymous, and Sexaholics Anonymous. Um, I will say w when you're considering those different recovery groups, Keep in mind, Sexaholics Anonymous is the, the more conservative um, branch. They define a healthy sex as occurring between a husband and a wife in a married, married relationship. So if you're a, a gay client um, or a single client, that Sexaholics Anonymous might not be a good fit. But for a lot of, like, for example, faith-based couples and that type of thing, that one is a good fit. Uh, but the other ones, uh, SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous, Sexual Compulsives Anonymous, and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, those are all um, kind of, um, you know, they individualize the, the sobriety definition for people. Um, so everybody that gets into recovery, I, I think it's important for your listeners to understand that this is um, not like chemical dependency. When you create, when you get into recovery, you... Um, you don't abstain from sex like you do with uh, uh, chemicals. It's more like an eating disorder where you learn, you develop a, a sexual health plan and you learn how to have a healthy relationship with your sexuality just like you would with food if you were in recovery from an eating disorder. Um, we'll be right back after this commercial to learn more about sex addiction and pornography addiction with Dr. Stephanie Carnes.
to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. your health where you think it should be if you're like most people the answer is probably not where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track the answers start on occupy health each week host dr susan downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider you'll want to plan for your optimal health with occupy health listen fridays at 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time on voice america health and wellness Sometimes it just seems that nobody understands. There's one individual who can help. If you're living with somebody who faces challenges such as autism, Asperger's, or other exceptional needs, you'll want to tune into Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Together, we'll uncover a variety of solutions to the challenges faced by individuals, their families, and teachers. Listen live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to one hour time, and our guest today is Dr. Stephanie Carnes, and we're talking about sex addiction and pornography. And um, in our last segment, we were talking a little bit about um, the effect of pornography addiction and sex addiction on the families and the partner. Can you speak a little bit more about what the partner experiences in, in this process of, of tr- treatment and recovery? Sure, yeah. Um, I mentioned before that partners often have symptoms of PTSD. There was one study that was done um, that looked at partners after experiencing uh, disclosure or discovery when they found out about the sex addiction, and it actually um, measured their uh, trauma responses, and they found that 70% actually met criteria um, for PTSD and acute stress disorder. So we often don't think about that when we're talking about sex and porn addiction, a lot of people don't think about the impact that it has on the partner, but it's extremely traumatic. Um, And so it can be devastating, and partners can feel very confused. They'll sometimes blame themselves and, um, you know, you know, have it can impact their self-esteem and their self-concept, and 
um, and it can impact their sexuality. There's a lot of different areas that can be impacted for their partners. And, of course, they'll become very stressed about what to tell the children and how to navigate that and who to talk to about it. And many times partners will feel like they can't talk to anybody because there's still a lot of shame and secrecy and misunderstanding around sex addiction. And so they'll feel like they can't share it with anybody. And so it's really very hard. So I really recommend that partners... Um, you know, seek a, a, there are certified sex addiction therapists that also specialize working with partners and have partner groups where they can be with other partners that are experiencing the same thing and get support and, um, you know, not feel like they're so alone when they go through the process. So it can be very helpful for them. You know, um, as you're talking, I'm thinking clinically, you've got the person that has the addictive disorder as part of their recovery and healing, getting honest with their disclosure, and then you've got the the partner who is receiving this information and is being traumatized, you know, so it's almost like they're going in two different directions as a couple, you know. Yes, Um, that's right. Sometimes if the the addict's been getting into recovery and the partner hasn't known what's going on and then they... The addict might be getting a little bit better, and then they share all that information with the partner, and then the partner is, um, ends up, you know, struggling and, and needing a lot of support. So, um, and you're right, the, dis- the disclosure process can be uh, very painful for partners. So one of the things that um, we really recommend that um, I, I train in part of the section that I train in for in the I, I am a faculty member for the certified sex addiction therapist training and I teach people how to do disclosures and I recently did a, a research study on disclosure to partners um, and tried to look at what aspects of disclosure made it less traumatic for partners and so we try we teach therapists on how to help facilitate disclosures that are less traumatic for partners. So, um, you know, what that looks like, hopefully when the addict gets into recovery, they, you know, get very invested and are committed to recovery and uh, become really open and honest and get involved. They start participating in a culture of support where they have people in their lives that are holding them accountable. Like, for example, let's say it's a male addict and they're in a men, men's groups and going to 12-step support and, they're doing therapy and they're committing to their sexual health plan and all of that. Um, so our, our hope at that point is that the partner will also get a therapist that can help support them to go through, you know, to uh, uh, get through the disclosure process so that they can start couples therapy and, and start healing as a couple. Um, and so for uh, usually what that looks like is that the partners will... Um, have a, a supportive therapist that um, helps them sort through what questions they have um, about the addict's behavior and helps them kind of process what they already know and what they feel like they need to know. And that information is given to the, the addict's therapist. And the addict's therapist um, really kind of consolidates that in um, 
easy-to-follow organized information that is very factual, doesn't leave the partner guessing about anything, but doesn't include too many details that will be traumatizing. Um, and basically, this is a, I do like a, uh, we do a, like a four-day training on this, so you're getting a very brief synopsis, <laughs> but the couple goes through um, a session that is, that is facilitated by therapists. And then the partner has a whole plan for the week of supportive care and so that they don't feel like they're going through that alone and they have the ability to ask questions and and then they share how this impacted them with the addict. And so they have supportive therapeutic support to go through that process. Um, so it's very intense and it can be difficult for couples, but Usually when an addict is really ready to get honest and embrace recovery, that kind of honesty is the kind of thing that will actually help a couple succeed in the long run and promote the couple's healing and eventually, you know, uh, get to a point of being able to uh, get to forgiveness and, and helping to restore the relationship. So it is very hard. It can be, a, you know, an arduous journey for couples, but it's definitely possible for couples to get through this and heal, and there is a path, um, and there are therapists that know how to do this and how to support couples through the process. It sounds like disclosure is one of the um, main components for treatment. What are the other components for treatment for sex addiction and pornography addiction? Sure. So, um, obviously, they need to have a sexual health plan. Usually what happens is an early treatment there is a, it's recommended to the addict that they have a 90-day period of sexual abstinence. And the thinking behind that, the reason for that is so that the brain can have a period of cooling off where the dopamine system is not getting flooded, where they can have their feelings and emotions come up and they're not medicating those sexually. They're learning how to cope and use different strategies. They're kind of stopping, arresting the behavior. And then after... Um, the 90 days, they go on to what's called a sexual health plan. And in that sexual health plan, they um, develop um, a really clear definition of the behaviors that they are no longer going to engage in that would constitute a relapse. We call these bottom line behaviors. And basically, these are things, usually things like uh, going to, you know, seeking prostitutes, using porn, um, you know, uh, ha- uh, having hookups, affairs, whatever the behaviors are, they're clearly defined um, on that list. And then they create um, a boundary list, which is the behaviors that they're not going to do because they're risky, not because they're relapses. So <clears throat> examples of that would be like, you know, driving down the street where they used to pick up prostitutes or, um having a computer that's unfiltered with no accountability software on it or, you know, those types of things. So um, that's the, um, you know, the, the boundary list. And then there's a, a list of, that they make of their recovery behaviors and their healthy sexual behaviors and what their healthy sexuality is going to look like eventually um, when they, you know, are ready for that. So they really define what their healthy sex plan is going to be um, and really make that, you know, make that clear. 
So, and it also, as I mentioned before, usually includes, you know, participating in a culture of support, uh, group therapy. We really consider cutting-edge treatment for sex addiction to be group therapy. Very similar to chemical dependency, the, the clients get a lot out of participating in group. They get the accountability from the other people in the group. They see themselves reflected in the other group members' experiences. It reduces shame for them. <laughs> so there's a lot of wonderful benefits that they get from the group process. Um, we usually recommend, or I, I usually recommend, um, uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes is, uh, who's, he's my father, who's uh, been a, a leader in this field for, for many years. Um, he developed a, what's called the 30 task model, which there are uh, workbooks and um, um, many different exercises. Uh, it's, it's a cognitive behavioral model that includes an insight-oriented uh, approach and um, also incorporates uh, family systems uh, work in, into that. And so it's a very comprehensive treatment approach um, that includes workbooks. And a lot of therapists use those books as part of the treatment process. So, um, you know, that's a very common approach for, ad, for the addicts. Um, the partners, we also, I wrote a workbook for partners um, that you mentioned at the top of the hour. Um, and I recommend that they also get group support and, you know, also uh, couples therapy, especially after the disclosure process when they can really um, do some work, some deeper work. I have, I have so many questions, I don't even know where to start. But I'm wondering about, um, like, cognitive behavioral therapy and trauma therapy. Is that included as well? Yeah, trauma therapy is really important. Um, as a matter of fact, in my recent research study, it, the addict getting trauma therapy prior to disclosure was one of the things that actually made disclosures more successful, was more predictive of a successful disclosure, which is interesting. It, it, um, it showed that their involvement in 12-step, um, a comprehensive treatment program, and uh, trauma therapy was actually uh, more predictive of saving the uh, marriage relationship. So that was uh, very interesting. But... Addicts really do need uh, trauma treatment as part of that. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the evidence-based approaches. 12-step has been shown to be effective. Um, also, mindfulness is another one that has been shown to be effective. And, and also, oftentimes, addicts will need uh, medication uh, in conjunction if they're struggling with a, a mood disorder. Um, that can be helpful for them as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of different components to treatment. Should people look for gender-specific treatment when treating sex addiction or does COVID um, treatment yeah, work? Most, yeah, most of the treatment programs are gender-specific. Um, there's a lot of good residential, you know, you, you have different levels of care, of course. You have um, residential treatment. There's about uh, 10 different uh, programs across the country. Um, I work at the Meadows with my father. We have a women's program and a men's program there. Um, they, we, there's an uh, intensive outpatient level of care. So there's, those are programs that have um, multiple groups per week that the, the participants can be involved in. And then there are outpatient clinics all over the country. So, for example, right now, there are over 1,600 certified sex addiction therapists across, really internationally. They're in, um, we have 
there are CSATs in over uh, 30 countries, over 150 in Canada, um, you know, so uh, there, are, there should be, uh, you, can, you can, if you want to find a therapist, um, you can go to sexhelp.com and type in your zip code and a whole list of certified therapists will come up in your area. And we'll be right back to learn more about resources and effective treatment after this commercial break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour of Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Dr. Stephanie Carnes, and we're talking about sex addiction and pornography. Dr. Carnes is the president of the International Institute for Trauma and Addiction Professionals, and she's a senior fellow for the Meadows Behavioral Health Care, where she works with sexually addicted clients and their families. And she's a licensed marriage and family therapist and an approved supervisor. Dr. Carnes, Before we run out of time, how can people either contact you or learn more about uh, sex addiction or or treatment for sex addiction? Sure. Um, They can go to, I mentioned the website earlier, sexhelp.com. It has um, a 
a listing of treatment centers that have trained therapists at them, um, and also the therapist locator where they can type in their zip codes and find a therapist in their area that is certified. Um, so that's probably the easiest thing is to go to sexhelp.com. And how could people get in touch with you if they wanted to? Um, there is, they, uh, they can uh, access, they can send a, there's an email contact us button on that website so they can use that if they wanted to email me. So what is the effect of, of sex addiction and pornography addiction on children? What happens to the kids? Sure. Um, so it, it depends. It varies because um, children often, it, it, there's, there's sort of a range. You have some children that know everything that's going on in the house and others that are, you know, uh, tend, are, are more well uh, protected. Um, the ones that do learn about the addiction and learn about the behaviors, um, we talked about for partners that it can be traumatic for them, but I think we can we also see we can see that there can be sex addiction induced trauma for the children in the household. So, and this can you know it, there's a lot of different ways that it can be traumatic. First of all, just exposure. Um, like for example, I worked with um, a 12 year old uh, child in therapy that uh, his father was using prostitutes, in, and when he'd bring the prostitutes home, he would use them in his room, and he would view pornography on the computer that was in his room. And so the child was the one that made the discovery about it. And so obviously that can have a really uh, huge impact on the, on the children. Um, the other, you know, when they were learning that information, one of the studies that I did showed that... Um, it, uh, that 67% when it was uh, children, it, we asked them, we looked at children who had been told by their parents that they were sex addicts and how that impacted them. And we found that 67% of the time uh, the children knew before they were told. So a lot of times parents think that the kids don't know when they, in fact, do know what's going on. Kids are pretty astute about what's going on in the home, and so it's not uncommon for them to, um, you know, pick up on that. And so they, that can create for them a lot of confusion around sexuality. Um, for example, you know, that, that like just, for example, the young men that I that I just told you about, he came into session once and he said, uh, when he was like 13 or so, he said, I think I might be a sex addict. And I said, well, why do you think that? And he said, because I think about sex all the time. <laughs> and I just had to normalize that that was very normal for uh, a, you know, someone at age 13 that, that, that sex can be normal and healthy and, and a wonderful thing and it's normal to be thinking about that when you're 13. So it can really create a lot of confusion for them. You know, I, I worked with a, um, a young female client that when her breasts were developing, she was afraid of being in the house with the addict. Like, can I be alone with him? You know, that th those types of reactions and... You know, um, so there can be a lot of confusion, even sexual acting out on the part of the kids themselves or 
other types of behavioral problems like running away or drug and alcohol use, if there's a lot of stress and strain in the home, um, another way that they can be really impacted is just the intensity of the conflict between the parents. So sometimes even, you know, even the most, you know, loving parents when they're going through something like this, um, you know, uh, can make poor choices around what kind of information gets shared with the children, can involve their children in the conflict, can have poor boundaries with the children. And so, um, and just the children, like, seeing their, uh, one, you know, the betrayed partner uh, falling apart and being traumatized can have a huge impact on them. So sometimes you'll see issues like loyalty issues with, um, you know, trying to protect one parent, being angry at another parent, or trying to rescue the parents, um, you know, children that become parentified, you know, thinking that if I'm perfect and I keep everything, keep the house together and do everything that, you know, we'll get through this and they'll, you know, they, that happens with um children of alcoholics and drug addicts as well. That's a very common thing, response for children. Try to be perfect and, um, you know, uh, overachieving and that type of thing. So a lot of different types of responses, and it can be very stressful for children. So we really work with, you know, try to work with the parents to have appropriate boundaries with the children, um, you know, I have uh, uh, published some articles and, and books about h- how to share information with the kids. You know, sometimes the children already know some information, and so they have to be told some information to help them make sense out of what they already know um, and provide some explanation. Um, and so it can be quite complicated. So it's it, it's... It impacts the whole system. I guess I want to kind of end our, our hour together on a, on a positive note. And could you talk a little bit about healing and, and, and what that's like for couples and families that, that get treatment? Sure, yeah. Um, usually what we um, advocate for is that, you know, that the couple go through, as I talked a little bit earlier in the hour, that facilitated disclosure process. It's really important for the addict to get honest uh, with the partner and be able to, uh, you know, be transparent and really open about their recovery and transparent with the partner so that they can be um, reassured that the, that the addict's fully committed. And really what that takes is, you know, being open and, ha- you know, having reliable transparent behavior over time. That's really the only way to rebuild trust in the relationship. So we really encourage that uh, for those couples that um, want to continue on. And so when you kind of develop that atmosphere in the coupleship, then you have to heal the wounding that has occurred. And so that usually involves um, like an accountability accountability work on the part of the addict. So, like, for example, we have an exercise that we use called emotional restitution in which the addict really shares with the partner all the the ways that they know how much they've hurt them. And, um, and the partner also shares with the addict uh, what's called an impact letter, how they've also been 
um, impacted by this. So there's, there's a whole process that we bring couples through to try and get some healing around it. Um, so there's actual really communication around the pain so that they can move past it and get to a new place in their relationship. So it sounds like with effective treatment that there's hope and that there's recovery and that healing can occur for folks who, who have these like very devastating uh, chronic brain diseases. Um, thank you so much for spending this hour with us, Dr. Carnes. Thank you for having me, Mary. Um, it's been great. I hope everybody's been um, as informed as I have been over this last hour. Uh, have a good week, everybody, and um, we'll talk to you next week. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.